Yeah, Raphael actually called me last week and just said, hey, they're still not getting along, so can you come back? No, that's not true. That's not true. The, the plan was all along to come back for a second time. Uh, it is great to be back again. Thank you so much for uh, this incredible warm welcome. Uh, as, you, as I mentioned last time, this ministry means a lot to me. This is sort of a... Uh, the open arms to me and my family when we moved uh, back to the United States from Russia, which is connected to another thank you because of all the sacrifice that this ministry has given. Uh, you planted a church in Moscow in 1991, and I know somebody was praying, God, please help an Oklahoman become a disciple in Moscow. Somebody prayed that, and actually that was me. I prayed that, so anyway. But thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, just being an amazing church that uh, doesn't just take care of home, but takes care of the world because God has given us a lot of good work to do. Uh, part of that work is to get along, uh, and if we're not doing that well, we're not going to do a lot of other things, right, for uh, the people around us or even for our fellowship here. So uh, I want to review just a couple of things from last time. I know one concept that was a little uh, jarring even for me when I was first getting familiar with this kind of material was the whole idea that safety is more important than love. And, um, you know, when you're a Christian, you know, love is the big deal, right? God is love. You know, we love because why? God loved us first, right? So it's all about love. And I think sometimes with that emphasis on love, we can underestimate the value and the necessity of safety. And I want to show you just a quick moment in the scriptures that I think really supports this idea that I believe Jesus came to establish that safety for us. Okay, You guys remember this story in Luke 5. Uh, Simon was having some trouble fishing. Remember what Jesus told him? He said, you know, put your nets on the other side. And then what happened? They caught a bunch of fish. Okay, so... Uh, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, So when Simon realized, Jesus, you are who you say you are, Simon's response was, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Interesting, right? Simon realizes Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. But his response is, Oh, wait a minute. I'm a sinner, therefore I'm in trouble. Th things can't be good now that, it's, that, it, that who I am and who you are, this can't be a good thing. For he, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. But look how Jesus responds. Jesus said to Simon, I love you. Simon, seriously, you're, you're a great guy. I love you so much. And I came here to tell you how much God loves you. Jesus responds, hold on. Don't be afraid. Let, let, let me get you safe first. This is, this is Luke 5. We're still early on in the ministry. Let me establish safety first. You don't need to be afraid. You're a sinner, yes, but you don't need to be afraid. Then he gives the mission. From now on, you will fish for people. Wow. <laughs> Not only is it safe, I believe in you. 
I've got a purpose for you, a calling for you. So how do they respond? They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And I believe they responded that way because they suddenly felt with this man, it's safe. In fact, if we're attached to anything for our safety, like our work or our relationships, if that is our source of safety, this guy is so safe, I don't need these other things to attach to. I don't need these other things to define me. Because with him, it's so safe. This is really important. Because I think when we underestimate safety, we don't go for safety. We don't think about safety. We don't create safety. And if we're going to save the world, guess what? When we reach out to people, we got to learn. How do we do it in such a way where they feel safe? Right? So this, this stuff that we're talking about, Yes, I want us to get along better, and I want us to, you know, have good resolution among us, but this also is tied to our mission. It's tied to our purpose as fishermen of men, okay? The other thing we talked about was the four blessings. We talked about all these benefits from this gift that God gave us called breathing. Did anyone experiment in the last couple of weeks with breathing? Anybody? Anybody? All right, all right, all right. So here's the thing. I want to call, I want to challenge everybody. Why did we come to midweek? I want to encourage you, anytime you go to midweek, I want to encourage you to have a safe mindset. And with safety, guess what comes with that? Curiosity. When you go to midweek or you go to church, or you go into a conversation with curiosity, the chances of you learning and growing go significantly up. But if you come to midweek with like suspicion or reservations, you're going to hear things, but you will not be transformed. We have this strange phenomenon, I think it's American culture, we believe that information transforms us. And that is not true. <laughs> information is really good. Jesus even came to give us the information. However, listening to it does not transform you. So whatever you hear at a midweek, make sure that you walk away with curiosity. What did I learn how can I put that into practice? Let me have another experiment in my relationship with God or another experiment in how I engage another brother or another sister or how I engage the mission. Make certain that you don't walk out of here just hearing. Make sure we're, we're fired up to listen and then try something different. Okay? So now that I've made all of us uncomfortable, let's do it right now. Put our hands on our stomach, and we're going to access that, uh, what's it called again, the nerve? Vagus nerve, baby. There we go. Somebody was listening. That's great. Okay, so vagus nerve. We're going to take slow breaths. Count to four. Breathe from your tummy, not your chest, because you do this all day long. The only time you breathe here is when you make a decision. So let's make a decision right now. Let's breathe. Ready? Get set. Go. Breathe. Inhale. Two. Three, 
four, hold, two, three, just kidding, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. Doing that, turning it into a prayer, I had a brother text me literally this morning <laughs> with his own breath prayer, this whole thing that he's come up with of things he says about God, things he says about himself while he does this breath prayer thing before he has his quiet time. I'm telling you guys, this temple is not a problem. This temple is a gift. It's a tool. It's an instrument. And if we use it, we will learn some things about ourselves and about God and about people that will blow our minds. But we got to be curious about thing, about this thing. All right? Okay. I won't go over all those benefits. Now, let me tell you one thing why I talk a lot about psychology. It comes from Romans 8, verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Does anyone want, does anyone want to guess where healthy psychology came from? Somebody yelled it out. That's right. It's called the Bible, right? The best psychology you'll ever find, you'll find it in scriptures. And if there's any good psychology out there in a textbook or with a therapist, if it works and it helps you, I guarantee you there's some roots in there tied to scripture. Okay, so please, don't have this dichotomy like, oh, well, I'm either in this world or I'm in the Christian world. No, hold on. God is the creator of many things, and his truth I believe he's quite generous with. He'll even let atheists figure some things out. Because guess what? God loves atheists. Did you know that? <laughs> he made them. I mean, come on, you know. So he, he loves them. So that's why he wants truth to slip in any which way. And if it's through psychology and it helps him a little bit, great. But the ultimate goal is not just figuring out the Bible is true, but it's having that relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's the ultimate goal of all this stuff. So, the reason why I like this passage is that what, how I look at psychology is I believe psychology sometimes has some tools and some understandings that when we listen to or apply, it actually gives our minds a better chance to follow and be governed by the Holy Spirit. I was in a tough situation with one of my kids a week ago. I have a 18-year-old and a 21-year-old. And there was an issue with one of them that I just knew. I do not know how to talk to this child. I'm trying not to reveal who it was. Okay, so I don't know how to talk to this child and yet have life and peace. Because honestly, I'm frustrated. I'm like really puzzled why you did that. And I really want to understand why you did that. Actually, I don't even want to understand. I just want to tell you how bad it was and how dumb it was. And, you know. So David's mind, all on its own, could go a thousand places that could lead to death. Death of the closeness. Death to the safety I have with my kids. So the tool that we're going to be in, I'm going to be introducing to you tonight, I actually used a week ago with one of my kids because I realized I need help. I need a little bit of help to make sure that I navigate this conversation with the spirit governing my mind 
rather than David navigating and governing his mind. Who here loves to govern their own minds? You guys, if you're not holding your hands, you're just not honest. Okay, here we go. All right, so uh, here's a good truth. Uh, Conflicts are growth trying to happen. This is a really beautiful thing to start believing because guess what? Conflicts are always going to be around. However, there are some biblical principles that you can apply so that you aren't intimidated by conflict. You're not shut down by conflict. In fact, you might even be a little fired up about conflict because guess what? If we're having conflict, this might mean that our relationship is about to grow. Well, I I actually might learn something through this conflict. In fact, we both might learn and grow through this conflict. But I don't know about you, but my experience, and I had a lot of experience growing up, this idea was the last thing I would have ever believed about conflict. Conflict is loud. Conflict never gets resolved. Conflict ultimately ends to the end of a relationship. It ended in divorce. You see what I'm saying? We have all these bad experiences with conflict, and the enemy tries to convince you. If you've got conflict, you're going to lose. And if you're going to lose, you're either going to blow up or shut down. And now we're all on hold. Jesus didn't call us to get stuck or to, be, or to be held down by anything. He called to set us free so that whatever we're dealing with, we can go and we can grow through those things. Look at this verse. This is one of my favorites. James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know. Stop. One thing I talk about in my ministry all the time is that we read the Bible too quickly. So right there, you know. James is implying that we know something. And we can just read that and go, oh, yeah, 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 I know. Have you ever said that to somebody in conversation? Oh, yeah, 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 you know. Have you said that? And usually you say that because you really don't think they know, but you know, you're just trying to move on and get through the conversation. But when we read this, do we know? Do I really know that the testing of my faith produces perseverance? Is that, is that what I associate with trials? <laughs> that my faith is stronger later? That I'm getting more mature and I'm becoming complete? Through this trial, do I, do I really know that? That's why I asked the, the scaling question. On a scale of one to ten, ask yourself: How strongly do I believe that? Because you can read that verse, and if you believe that one out of ten, what's the verse going to do for you? Not much. So this is why we've got to go to God. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to govern our minds. So we can acknowledge, hey, God, you know what? I I really don't believe that right now. But I'm at a one. Help me get to a five. Maybe I need to talk to somebody in my life 
who's been through some trials like mine, and I can listen to them and consider some of their wisdom, and maybe my faith can go up a little bit more, right? But here's the thing. We do not want the enemy to convince any of us that we can't face trials with pure joy. We can. We can. Okay, but first let's clarify this. Um, I lived overseas for many, many years, and probably one of the biggest critiques of Americans is we're happy. We're just always happy. And when we're not really happy, we just pretend to be happy. (laughs) And then if I can't pretend to be happy, I start eating food or using substances so that I can feel happy. I mean, we just love happy. It's exhausting. It's fake. God didn't make us to be happy all the time. But let's distinguish happiness from joy. Because I don't think James is playing a bad joke. Right? But for some reason, he says, when you're facing trials, consider what? Pure joy. Not pure happy, pure joy. So let me help you with a good definition. Happiness requires a positive perspective on one's circumstance. Joy does not. Yike. That's easier read than done, okay? But think about that. There are some situations that just no matter how you spin it, it ain't going to be positive. But this is where I think joy is more associated with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus, it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, what was he doing in that circumstance? Oh, he was being crucified. Enduring the cross, he considered it, he considered the joy before him. So the point is, even in horrific circumstances, God always allows us a way to think and process things in such a way that we can have peace. But guys, we live in a society, I believe we don't value peace at all. We want to be happy. And we, and we, we will never consume enough to be happy. Happy is just a carrot at the end of a really long stick. And God is saying, guess what? I'm trying to put the carrot in you. I'm trying to put joy in you. So that no matter what trial you're facing, you know that you're growing. That I'm fathering you. That I'm loving you. That I'm trying to move you toward something or a way of being that you've never been before. That's that's inspiring. I want that kind of parenting. And most of us didn't get that kind of parenting growing up. That's why we have so many issues with God, because we just keep comparing. But God is a perfect father. He fathers perfectly. Not just on good days. He's a perfect father every day. 
in every trial that we face. All right? All right, frustrations. Okay. I'm not frustrated by that. It's okay. All right, frustrations are poorly expressed needs. What? No, 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 man. She's just frustrated. No, you got to think that one through a little bit, bro. People aren't just frustrated. 99.9% of the time, there is a legitimate need somewhere in there, but all you're hearing is frustrated. And, and it's our fault, too. I, I communicate sometimes in a way where all my wife hears is my frustration. Let me tell you, it is a thousand times easier to hear a need than to hear a frustration. So, we got to figure this one out. we got to figure out, okay, if I'm really frustrated, maybe I need to slow down and figure out, okay, what, what need is going on here? What need is not being considered or not understood or not met that's creating this frustration in my life? Now, last time we talked a little bit about this, this whole frustration need connection goes back to how we've been made by God. We talked about information travels up the brain, and the first section that it goes through, all that information that we process, whether it's something we're listening to, or someone yelling at us, or something we're looking at, no matter what information you are taking into your body, it goes up the brain through your limbic system and checks, do I feel anything about this information? Do I feel mad? Do I feel scared? Do I feel excited? It checks with an emotion first. And if that emotion is too strong, that information will never make it to the prefrontal cortex. See all those qualities of the prefrontal cortex? Good judgment, decision-making, impulse control, planning, reflection. So when someone's not meeting my needs, and I'm really frustrated about that, what emotion do I have? Anger. I'm mad. And if I'm really mad, that means my limbic system warms up. And when you're really mad, how's your judgment? How's your decision-making? How's that impulse control? Oops, I can't believe I said that. Planning and reflection. That's why afterwards, after you're angry, is when you say, why did I say that? Wow, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to make up for what I just said? Well, because you didn't reflect, because you, your brain was just hot. It wasn't governed by the Spirit. It was governed by you. And when it's governed by us, we're never going to get to the prefrontal cortex, and we're never going to get to the Holy Spirit. Every brain in here, every brain on this planet needs the Holy Spirit to be governed properly. All right? Okay. Now, we're going to look at the verse that is the foundation of the practical tool that I want to teach you tonight. In other words, I don't want you just to take a tool and go, oh, this will be cool to try. I want you to understand that the purpose of it is to help us actually follow not just follow, but actually fulfill what the Scripture teaches us to do. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Okay, do we need to pay attention? 
That's a pretty strong introduction, right? James is writing, writing in verse 18. Then he says, stop. Hey, take note of this. So, got everybody's attention, right? Everyone. Who? Everyone. I don't care if you're a boss, you're an employee. I don't care if you're a parent or a teenager or the other guy in the car next to me on the 405. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen. Very is not there, but anyway, and, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, I think he warns specifically about anger because he knows when we have conflict, most of us go to anger. We might be scared, but we go to anger. We might be anxious, but we go and we express anger. And he's trying to say, he's not saying anger is sin. He's just saying, make sure you take care of it so that it doesn't lead you to sin. Okay? We have to read these things carefully. Sometimes we read these things and we go, oh, now I'm justified. I can suppress my anger. You will not find a scripture in the Bible that says suppress your anger. In fact, Psalm 4, verse 4, which is the original reference to in your sin do not anger, the next line says, lie in your bed and listen to your heart. What? It says, in your anger, lie down, get safe, and then we'll think about that a little bit. I mean, the Bible's telling us, take your anger seriously. Because if you don't, your anger will take you seriously. Does that make sense? This is the nature of the beast. All right, so here is the practical that we're going to talk about tonight. This is called the dialogue, okay? And this was uh, uh, originated by some uh, psychologists probably about 30 years ago. His name's Harville Hendricks, really cool guy. He was a minister for many years. Then he went back to school, became a psychologist. And I honestly think that his biblical background probably influenced a lot of what he learned and started developing in his field as a psychologist. But uh, it's basically a very structured way to communicate. How many people love structure? Mm, yeah, yeah, most of us don't like structure. Okay, now here's the thing. You've got to choose. You've got to choose. Which do you love more? Do you love structure or do you love conflict? you, you got to decide which one you love. All right? Now, if you love conflict, you can leave now. You don't need to listen to anything I'm going to tell you because you can just go on your merry way. But if you can consider structure, this exercise will help you when you have conflict to have a better fighting chance of the Holy Spirit governing your mind and not only that, if that wasn't enough, the, the real winner is you'll be following James 1, verse 19. You'll be slower to speak and quicker to listen. 
right. Now, before we, well, I'll explain this in a second. Okay, here we go. Before we begin, uh, and we have a fill-in here, right? Oh, yeah. First, make an appointment. First, make an appointment. I'm not saying make an appointment with a therapist. I'm saying you make an appointment with the person you want to resolve your conflict with. All right? Wow, sorry about that. Everyone's going like, is this guy trying to get right in some business? No, 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 no. I'm not even going to give my phone number away tonight. That's, that's off, off limits. Okay, so before you begin, you make an appointment. And why do we do that? Because guess what? When you're wanting to talk to somebody about an issue, you have no idea the level of safety that they do or do not feel in that moment. I mean, I've come home sometimes, and, like, I'm ready to roll. Hey, Cece, we need to talk about this. And I have no clue what my wife has been through the last eight hours before I came home. So she might be tired. She might be down because of some horrible conversation she had an hour before. I don't know that. But by asking the other person, can I make an appointment to talk to you about this? You allow that other person to do a self-check. Am I good? You know what? I think, I think we could do this appointment right now. This would be great. Let's talk. Or, you know what? Today's a bad day. Could we talk tomorrow, maybe? Like in the afternoon at Starbucks? In other words... The person being asked has to evaluate themselves. Because remember, if you don't get safe, your brain's going to be in amygdala mode, and that conversation's not going to go well. It will not have a good result. Next, keep it brief and keep it safe. Keep it brief and keep it safe. So you say, honey... I would like to have a dialogue with you, and I, want to, I would love to talk for the next 60 minutes. You just lost them, all right? It's done. It's over. Or he'll say, yeah, I can make that appointment in November, you know, whatever. So keep it brief. Keep it brief, all right? And let's talk about why. Well, look at this tale. I, I show this a lot with people that I'm working with or even when I'm dealing with conflicts with people in church and stuff like that. I'll ask them, okay, this conflict that you're having, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is it? Now, if it's a 10, I have to say, I'm so sorry, but I can't help you. Because you can't talk about a conflict that's at a 10. And here's, here's the secret. Don't tell anybody this, but this is the secret. The reason why people have conflicts at a 10 or a 9 or an 8, it's because earlier in the relationship when things were great and wonderful and fantastic, you actually had conflicts at a 2. And you did nothing. Then you started having conflicts at a 4. And you started feeling a little uncomfortable, but you thought, you know what, I got through the 2s and the 3s without doing anything. I'm going to just keep doing nothing and hope this goes away. And guess what happened? The four became a five. 
and then five became six, and then at eight, it finally got your attention and said, oh my gosh, I need help. And to be honest with you, when we do relationships like that, I honestly think we are not obeying James 1, 2 through 4. It says, consider it pure joy when we what? When we face trials. Not when we delay them. Not when we minimize them. Not when we justify them and don't deal with them. When you face them. And this is one reason why I love this tool that I'm teaching you tonight. Because I've taught this tool to, I don't know, probably hundreds of people. But when people learn this, there's suddenly a confidence about conflict. And, and not a cocky, arrogant confidence, but like, you know what? Conflict is okay. Conflict can help me. I can grow through this. So bring it on. And it's a good thing. So, the scaling thing, I tell people emotions are a horrible master, but a great servant. Any emotion that you feel, whether it's mad, sad, or scared, if you feel that emotion above a five, that means that emotion is now mastering you. It's in charge, not you. And honestly, I can't help a person if their emotions are above a five. And that's why I just have to say, listen, I'm, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to take some steps and take some personal responsibility to get your emotions down to a safer degree. That may mean getting some counseling. That may mean you need to go for a prayer walk. That may mean you need some time with Scripture or let's talk about your relationship with God because God does not want emotions mastering us. God created emotions to serve us. So that's why we've got to work with God to make sure that those emotions are a five or below. Okay? All right. So now, if it's safe, if it's a conflict lower than a five, or the emotions are safe in that lower than five range, we can now have a dialogue. All right? Now, uh, before we go any further, and I promise I want to get done by 830, uh, please pick a partner right now. We're, gonna, we're not just going to listen. We're going to do the dialogue right now. So pick somebody next to you, hopefully someone you like or that you get along with currently. If you don't like that person, just move to another seat, but don't tell them why. All right. Sorry. Okay, perfect. Okay. Shh. Okay, everybody, I, I really am sorry if anybody's feelings just got hurt. Like, nobody wants to sit next to me. No, sorry. Okay. But here's the thing. The reason why I want to do this is that I don't want you to hear me. I don't want you to hear me tonight. I want you to practice something different. Okay? Because, guys, you don't get good at things by not practicing them. You get really good at things by practicing them. And that applies to good things and bad things. If you practice avoiding conflict, I promise you will get excellent at avoiding conflict. All right? And I don't want that for any of us. Okay, so part one, 
is mirroring, which establishes contact. Okay? So in this dialogue, one person is a sender, and the other person is a receiver. Okay? So if I had a conflict with my wife, and I need to talk to her about a conflict that I have with something we're working on or something we need to deal with, I would make the appointment and say, hey, honey, I need to make an appointment to talk to you about our scheduling for the weekend, okay? And if I made that appointment, that means that I'm going to be the sender and she is going to be the receiver. And all the instructions on your handout tonight, this is for the receiver, okay? Now, what I want you to do right now is I want everyone to decide who's going to be the sender. And if you're the sender, you need to think of something interesting about your day today. I don't care what it is. It could be, you know, you got three green lights in a row on Colorado Boulevard, or, you know, your boss said something nice to you, or anything. Just think of something simple, okay? 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 So here's the directions. If you're the sender, you are going to communicate in extremely short increments, like simple sentences. And every time you finish a sentence, you're going to hold your tongue because we're being slow to... Thank you. You're going to say a sentence, and then the receiver is going to mirror back as accurately as they can exactly what you said. And they're going to say, I heard you say... They're going to repeat what you said word for word, and then they're going to check in with you and say, did I get that right? And they're going to say yes or no, hopefully yes. And then when they say yes, you say, tell me more. Now, hold on, let me explain why this works. If I have a conflict, how is my limbic system, hot or cold? My limbic system's a little warm, right? Because conflicts I don't like, they don't feel comfortable. But by me sending my conflict in short sentences, it allows my limbic system to stay calm and my prefrontal cortex to stay online while I communicate something that's been bothering me. Does this make sense? So this really helps contain you, and at the same time, it helps the other person, when they're mirroring you, guess what they're focused on? They're trying to listen to your words. And because they're trying to mirror you, they can't sit there and try to listen to you and come up with their reactive responses at the same time. It almost hijacks the brain. Because now I've got to focus on reflecting, mirroring back your words as opposed to working on my counter-argument. Which just means your amygdala is activated and you're not really listening anyway. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds. I want the sender to send at least twice anything about their day today, and the other person is going to follow the mirroring step. You ready? Get set, go.
15 seconds. Okay. Okay. Now, if you did this correctly, if you did this correctly for the last 60 seconds, you felt awkward. If you didn't feel awkward, it means you didn't take the exercise seriously. Okay? Because this feels weird. It's not how we communicate, all right? And it's especially not how we communicate when we have conflict. So I'm introducing this to you in a very safe, neutral way, right? Let's just talk about something in your day, right? Because you've got to practice this before you can start introducing it to your conflicts, okay? All right, next step. The next step is validating. Validating creates connection. And let me clarify first what validating isn't. Validating someone does not mean agreement. It's not, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. No, validating is, okay, hold on. I'm hearing your point of view. I'm hearing about your perspective. And based on some things that I'm hearing, that makes sense to me your experience. See, many people confuse validating with agreement and therefore they very rarely validate people because they just think it's given in. Oh, it's just saying they're losing or they win, I lose. No, validating is just basically I'm confirming that I'm listening to you and I'm confirming that from how you're explaining it and your experience, it makes sense. Do you know what it like what it feels like when people think that you make sense? It's very soothing. It's very comforting. Like, okay, I'm not crazy. Right? That makes sense to me. So, in the validating part, the mirroring part takes about five or ten minutes, depending on how much you need to send, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when the person is sent everything they need to send about that particular topic or conflict. Part two is validating. That's typically one sentence. I can see how you would see it that way, or that makes sense to me because, and just validate something that made sense in one sentence. Not a paragraph, not an essay, not a story, just one sentence that confirms to them that they're making sense. Okay? Now, for sake of time, uh, we're going to skip the validating part. I'm going to let you guys do that one on your own. Oh, look at that. You guys can make an appointment with me later to discuss your feelings about that. Okay. All right, so part three. The reason why I want to get to part three is part three is the most powerful part of the dialogue. It is the most powerful. Empathizing moves us into communion with each other. Empathizing is, I'm listening to you, I heard you, validating, hey, I, I... It makes sense to me, but then empathizing is, I understand how you feel in this situation. I'm, I'm in your shoes for a moment. 
okay? And the way the empathizing part works is you basically guess three emotions, three different emotions that person may be feeling in terms of that conflict. Now, believe me, please listen to this part. Less is more. When you tell a person three emotion words that you think, and you're just guessing, you're, you're thinking this is what it is, when you guess three words and you don't go on and on and on explaining it, it allows their brain to activate and go, huh, are they getting me? So what I heard you say, well, it make, it, you must feel sad, disappointed, and hurt. Do you feel any of those feelings? Guys, even if you got one out of three right, the other person just feels like you're with them. You're not just hearing them, you're, you're really listening to them. You're trying to be with them on their side of this conflict. It is a powerful moment. I'm t- I cannot tell you the miracles that I've seen in church and outside of church using this tool. I used to work in an adolescent drug program, and I'm telling you, these kids and these parents just ate each other's guts. And I start trying to find some conflict that we could talk about, something simple. And they follow these instructions, and they hate structure, but they do it anyway. And for the first time, in some cases, years the parent actually gets their kid. Guys, I'm telling you, I think God has blessed us with many amazing things, but we can't just read Scripture. We have to find ways to implement, put into practice, Scripture. This is one way to do it, okay? So you ask, uh, you guess, you must have felt one of these three words, Then you ask them, did you feel any of those feelings? If any of the guesses are wrong, just tell them which ones are right. If two are wrong, then ask again, guess again, or ask them to tell you what emotions did you feel about this conflict. And if they tell you new information, mirror it back. So what I heard you say is you actually felt alone, not hurt, whatever whatever the correction is. Okay? All right, moving on. Oh, okay, 8.30, sorry. All right, so the goal is to listen with empathy, not judgment. What does the Bible say? God loves mercy, right, over judgment. This is a form of, of giving mercy to a person. Hey, I don't maybe agree with how you're going through that conflict or what you even think about that conflict, But guess what? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to try to really get how you feel on your side of this issue. Now, the Bible says that the first to present his case always seems right. Okay? So just a word of caution. When you're talking about conflict, it usually means both people have a position on that conflict, correct? So what I tell people is, if one person sends their side of that conflict and the other person does all the receiving and follows all the instructions and empathizes with them and it's all great, 
if the other person wants to respond, the question is, are you safe? Because I've had couples do this where they sinned, and the other person got through the exercise by the skin of their teeth, and their fists are all clenched, and they're like, okay, now let me sin. And I'm like, dude, are you serious? You are so dangerous right now. No way. So the point is, if you want to do a responding dialogue, guess what? You've got to make an appointment. Okay, so can I make an appointment right now to respond to what you just said? And the other person can say, you know what? I don't feel safe right now. <laughs> so you know what? I'm going to take an hour. You can go for a walk or do whatever you want to do, but I'll probably feel better when you're a little calmer, and then, yeah, I'd be happy to hear your dialogue. Does that make sense? So you, there's no such thing as retaliatory dialogue. The point is, we want to get to safety. We want to get to connection. Okay, now here's the bonus, part four, is moving forward. Moving forward. And this is particularly when it involves a relationship. So I do this all the time between with couples, parents and their kids, or it could be a brother or sister in the church that maybe you've had some issues with. But when you go through those three steps, it's we don't stop at empathy, although empathy I think is profound and it transforms the mind. When the mind feels safe and empathized with, I'm telling you, you will feel holy, you will feel sacred <laughs> when you get that type of connection with another human being. In fact, I would say most of us felt that when we studied the Bible. When you went through that sin list, and the other person didn't freak out, you felt, wow, it's safe. I just talked about this stuff, and the other person didn't blow up, but they actually listened, and they loved me. That was a transformative moment in most of our lives. We need those moments all the time. Being understood. Empathizing with each other. Okay, so now moving forward from conflict. Uh, I usually add this. And so you guess the three emotions, and then part four is a little different. You're guessing, that must have made you feel blank about our relationship. Okay? So that must have make, made you feel insecure about our relationship. Or it must have made you feel frustrated about our relationship. Whatever the emotion is, just guess what it is. Then check, did I get that right? And if they say yes, I'm sorry for making you feel insecure about our relationship or frustrated about our relationship. You know, get some humility out there. But then here's the clincher. What can I do to help you not feel insecure, frustrated about our relationship? So in other words, whatever that emotion is, you're now asking What's the blueprint for me, for us, to win? Now, notice what I wrote here. Behavior request is what? A specific action or behavior. Now, most people are so tired following this structure for five minutes, at this point they get really lazy. And they say something really Christian like, well... I just want you to be more respectful. Well, I want you to listen to me more. 
What does that mean? I mean, it sounds nice, but what does that mean? Because you're, you're saying a nice word, but that person's idea of respectful may be completely different than what you're thinking about being respectful. And so both people nod their heads, they walk away, and they have no clue whether this worked or not. So, now the reason I like this is because the person with the issue, this requires you to do some soul searching. You you need to figure out what is your need in this situation. Don't just wait around being frustrated. Don't just tolerate the relationship. Come on, man. What do you really need in this relationship to not feel blank about the relationship? Okay? So you have to be very, very specific in your request. And that way when the person hears it, they can listen to that and go, you know what? That makes sense to me. If I follow those steps, I now realize I will win with you. And now we are repairing this relationship. Actually, our relationship might even be better now because of this conflict that we just had. One other suggestion is actually provide two or three options. People always love the freedom to choose. When I do this with kids, I'll often say, pick three options that you could live with. I tell this to the parents. Pick three options that you could live with so the kid gets to choose which of these they could, they could implement and feel successful in the relationship. Okay? All right, here we go. Practice, practice, practice. Here's our takeaway. So to practice, pick a positive topic and mirror each other. This is your homework before I come next time. And I'm going to call Raphael and ask, Raphael, are they doing it? Right? Okay, next, you, uh, each partner gets a chance to sin. So try going both ways, but you're talking about something positive. Just follow the structure, but do it on a positive subject. Close each turn by validating, then empathizing with the sender. Oftentimes, I'll tell couples to do this on a positive thing every day at the end of the day. Like just to, to share something with your partner that was good that day and get that deposit, that connection with each other. I think this is a great idea for discipling relationships. You know, discipling sometimes can be so sin-focused, we don't pay attention to things that are going great and sharing good news with each other of how things are going well, right? Send that, let them mirror it back. See how it feels to get really connected with like that. And then number four, later, practice on a low-scale conflict. If you currently having a conflict with somebody, make sure it's a conflict that's below a five. I encourage starting really low, like two or a three. Practice on something easy. And honestly, you'll be amazed at the transformation just in yourself going through this process, not to mention what it will do in the relationship. Okay. Thank you for listening tonight. You guys have been great. Thank you. All right, have a great night.